The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hi, welcome to the Chronic Podcast. It's a very special show tonight. I'm joined by a longtime colleague and friend of mine, former uh, high school classmate, Gus Cattengill, host of the Sports Hangover on 106.1 The Ticket in New Orleans. Um, Gus, I'd like it to be joining you to join us on more of a upbeat uh, circumstance, but a friend and colleague of ours, Kenny Wilkerson, former sideline reporter of the Saints at WWL and host of New Orleans, passed away this week. And I I wanted to have a show about him because I feel like they do an obituary. He goes away and people don't really appreciate his legacy and what he, and what he did for certain people. And I wanted to have a guy on that was close to him. Um, and you were that. Um, so, you know, with Kenny passing away, just tell us, I guess just start on what he was going through um, health wise these last few months. Well, uh, I guess first off, hey, <laughs> good to uh, chat with you again. I know it's been a while, and it's interesting. We're just, uh, I guess, catching up before we start yeah. this, and uh, you know, it's um, it's a small, it's a you know, it's a little fraternity, and it's a really a brotherhood, especially when you look at this market in the city and how it is, and um, you know, those of us that get lucky enough to cover sports on a day-to-day basis as a profession, I mean, it's uh, you know everybody, and yeah, you do. You know, in this day and age, Ralph, as you know, whether it's uh, online media, radio, television, you name it. I mean, everybody's kind of interconnected now. And, you know, it, it's weird. You may have a breaking scoop or story, but within seconds, things to Twitter, it's retweeted and everything. So, you know, I've never been that guy. I'm like, you know, you, you get something that's fine, but competition and who you work for, whatever. I mean, we all are trying to do a job and we're all trying to do everything. And, and do it to the best of our ability. So I think if you respect people and there's a mutual respect, then I think it comes back your way and everything. So you know, I started in 99, and just like anybody from this area, you know, you grow up with certain voices. You grow up with certain people. I mean, I remember, because it's always interesting, you know, I always use a lot of times on the air, people are, you know, at times prisoners of the moment, you know, and yeah. we'll only remember the Saints winning like they are now, but Ralph, if you remember, because you're around my age, yeah. you know, Saints games weren't on TV. You and I worked together at the flagship, and uh, you yeah. couldn't give away tickets, you no. know? So when you look at it from that standpoint to where it is now, and, um, you know, there were just certain voices. I mean, I, I remember on Sundays listening to Saints games in the garage while Dad did, you know, chores, and I was helping him out and everything, and um, because the games weren't on TV and the Saints were not a very good team. So Jim Anderson, you know, was the voice that you listened to. And, you know, Kenny was on the sidelines. So um, you kind of had an idea of who they were just based off of that. And you, you knew who they were because of their job. But uh, 99, I get in there and, um, you know, sure enough, even before that, uh, you know, I mean, you, you think of Kenny and, and Buddy's relationship. It's funny, you know, it's been interesting to kind of hear, 
and read some of the comments behind it saying that, you know, up there in heaven has got to be one hell of a sports talk show going on right now, and, and they're still arguing at, at over, you know, who deserves to make the 2013 team or not. So, because that's what they were. And it's interesting because I kind of took over for Kenny, so that's why our relationship was a little interesting. And, yeah. and I got to know him well because, um, you know, I, I kind of did what he did for a while. And it was post buddy when he became – yeah. You know, the show host the sports talk, that was his duties, was hosting. And, you know, so I was the guy that was moved out to camp and, and did the daily reports kind of like he used to do for Buddy. And, uh, you know, and then eventually in 07 and 08, due to health issues that he had, which you can get into, he, um, you know, I became the sideline reporter. So I, I just, I kind of became the Kenny, you know, for a while. And, you know, I'd always known that he, he got – he was involved in a pretty bad boat accident. You know, a lot of people have seen him with the neck brace and mm-hmm. knew he had back issues and things like that. But he had metal rods and plates put all over his body. He was fishing one night, and um, literally a boat ran over his boat and, and injured him pretty bad. So he dealt with that for a lot of years, and his wrist, his forearm, his neck, his back. Yeah. We used to tease him, you know, it was almost like Iron Man. Um, and they thought he'd have the fly or something, you know, the – the alarms at TSA would go yeah. off and, and everything like that. So as you can imagine, that created a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain for him as well. But he managed it and he did it. And, you know, um, it just got to the point, no six. We were up at no saps, no six. And um, you could just see that season uh, traveling was starting to be an issue for him and walking out there. I mean, you know, people kind of look at it, hey, you're on the sidelines, it's cool, but you're standing for three hours of the game. You're doing stuff before. You're traveling afterwards. I mean, it's a, it's an all day yeah. event. And, and, by the time you get home and everything. Yeah, and and explain to people, sideline reporter. There, you know, Kenny used to always joke with me. He would say, "Look, Ralph, there's two ways to do sideline reporting. You can either do it the way the NFL wants you to do it, and stand over in the corner and not cause any waves, or." You can get in there, and you can go where they don't want you to go, and you can get actual information. <laughs> right. And, and he said, that's the way you got to do it. And, you know, you don't think of it as strenuous, Gus, but when you got a wrecked back like Kenny did, it was hard, you know? And yeah, he- no question about it. I mean, you know, the thing is, I, I tried – when I took over, and what I thought is – I, I have the unique ability to put eyes mm-hmm. on an area of the field that a lot of people don't get to see up and close. And, you know, you get to see from a camera standpoint, you get to see it from a stand standpoint in your seat and things of that nature. But um, it's a whole different world down there, and it can add to the experience of listening. As you know, Ralph, lots of people love to listen to the game in the stands or yeah. watching it at home, you know, turn down the sound and all that stuff. So, what I tried to do is uh, bring you what's down there, the sights, the sounds, and, you know, looking at the way the game is going and um, kind of give you an idea of why that is. You know, it's easy to look at it and say, hey, you know, when I was down there in 07, Saints can't run a screen pass to save their life. Why is it that Reggie can't run a screen pass, Reggie Bush, but Pierre Thomas can and everything. And, you know, you can see it from down there on the field. You looked at two things. One, he was in front of his blockers, so he was always in front of the linemen. So Breeze was having, having to throw the ball over the linemen, and he didn't have any blocking, vision, patience, timing, things of that nature. And then you, you, you put the eyes 
on the sideline after the play. When it comes to the sideline, there's Peyton glaring at him. There's an lineman going after him. You know, there's Breeze go to a lineman and, and, and have conversations with him, which kind of lets you to believe, well, it was a missed block. It was a missed assignment. Or, you know, if Breeze walks up to Peyton and they both shake their head, well, then the defense won. You know, they did something they weren't expecting. So I try to always bring that into the conversation what's going on. And a lot of times what I think a lot of people don't know, at least what I did, I know Kenny did as well, is there's constant communication with Jim and Hope. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. That I would always do, even when I wasn't on the air. Uh, I could talk through um, the broadcast well, while they were talking during you know, commercials, during timeouts. Yeah. And in their ear, and I would tell them, hey, look, you know, this guy's getting whooped over here in the corner. They're really going left or right. This guy is sucking a lot of wind on the, you know, they're tired. So I would do that to kind of give insight to help Jim as he's watching the game and calling it because he's following the action. So, you know, he may not know that, look, you know, they got a lot of guys with their hands on their hips. You know, yeah. they're kind of on their on their backs. Uh, you know, the, the coaches on the sideline are – you can tell, you know, in their excitement, they're frantic. They, they're kind of confused. They don't know what's going on. Or, you know, you can, you can feel the mood on the sideline of the team. You know, or, or they smell blood in the water. Or they kind of beat. Did they quit? Did they? So I, I tried to always bring that up. And that's something Kenny told me about, you know, for a while. And, and it's also one of the pieces of advice that he gave me was, you know, that constant fine line of being the, the, the eyes and ears for the fans at the same time, respecting, you know, coaches' wishes and the fact that, you know, that team is out there to win a game and, you know, in their mind and in their world, that trumps anything else. So it's always that fine line of mm-hmm. not crossing the line of the trust of the coaches and players and understanding conversations that sometimes happen off mic or that you overhear that you just don't report, but it does help you in your overall assessment of things, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, and you, and you, and Kenny would, you know, as you know, Kenny would always push that line and he sort of give 
filter back the information but not necessarily give names or whatever. He would just say, hey, there's right. there's chaos on this sideline, and he may hear an argument between an offensive lineman and a coach, and he wouldn't say it's – you know, he wouldn't say, hey, it's Zach Streif yelling at the offensive line coach. He would say, hey, right. the offensive line coach is getting on them because they are getting whipped this way. You know? That's exactly right. You know, and, and that's, that's how you do it. I, yeah, I'll go just ahead. say, Ralph, and that's what I always try to do is, you know, you understand, and I think one of the things that I realized from from working down there is um, you do get to see a, a different side of things. You see um, the traveling, you know, and uh, what, it, what it's like to stay in a hotel with them, on the bus, to the game, all those different things. And I think one of the things that really – uh, stands out is you realize they're just like us, they're just like people. And I think, you know, one, one of the stories I always like to bring up is, you know, Reggie in that first year, um, I think he was actually 08. He, uh, you know, he's dating Kim Kardashian. So it's kind of, a, you know, a TMZ world, you know, to an extent. But it, it was at Carolina and it was the game where he was really starting to play well. And he wound up, you know, tearing his knee right before halftime when he returned to punt, if you remember, on the road out there. Oh, yeah. And I'll never forget, at the end of the game, and he was one of the last ones out of the locker room on the team bus, and we've wrapped up, we've done our post game, and I'm just waiting for Henderson to finish his, uh, you know, his package for the TV station. So he's out on the field doing his thing, and Hokey and I are just kind of sitting there and, um, you know, on – on uh, you know a golf cart in, in, in the tunnel, just waiting for him to get done with the engineer Robert Carroll, and so we can get in our car and go to the airport and come home. And you know Reggie comes out, and Kim's there with her sister and the security guy. And you know Reggie walks over to her, and she embraces him. He puts his head on her shoulder, and they, they kind of share some tears together. And you could tell he's disappointed. Obviously, he wants to play, and he knows what that injury obviously means that he's done for the year. And all those different things. And just, it really hit me. And it's, it's always yeah. stayed with me that, um, you know, we, we do mock drafts, we do fantasy football. We, uh, watch them at the game. We, part of our job and part of, you know, your blogs or podcasts is who should be cut, who should stay and all that. And I think a lot of times we tend to forget that they're people and yeah. they have families, you know, and after a game, a bad day, you know, which the Saints are another game. I'm on the sideline, and they lost to the winless Rams at home that one year. And, you know, Breeze walks out, and he had a bad game. And But when he walks out, you know, there's the wife and the kids, and there's Devery and his kids and his wife and all that. And, you know, when they meet him right outside the locker room when they're going home, and, and you understand, you know, that's a dad. That's someone's son. That's yeah. um, somebody that has other responsibilities afterwards, and you have to somehow put that game behind you. Even though there's seventy thousand people that are ticked off driving home right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, I I think one of the things, Ralph, that I try to do is how you described it just now. You know, there's ways to. I I think it's fair game to critique uh, performance. You know, you you say it's good, you say it's bad, and and you talk about the game. And I think when you get to personal issues, you have to use your experience and and use a certain filter to where you can still provide information and things of that nature um, without, I think, you know, uh, unnerving certain issues. And, you know, like you like you brought up the example of a coach or a player yelling at one other and things of that nature, I think it's completely fair game to say, hey, there, 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 there are things going on in a game where whatever, it's, it's just not working, 
you know, there's frustration on the sidelines. The sideline is chaos. Exactly. And I wasn't even reported, but I've been on the sideline for Saints games and college games. People don't understand. If they could somehow get the sideline experience that you get by being there, if they could somehow translate that to TV, right. but it would freak out coaches and players, it's it's – Barely organized chaos at some points. You get a team down like yeah, fourteen to three what? in the I, second quarter. It's right. madness. You know, I started in television, and I kind of related it to a television newscast. If anybody's ever been able yeah. to have that experience, and you know what I'm talking about, Ralph, behind the scenes, and you sit in that control room, uh, it's pretty unbelievable. You ever get an IFB in your ear? You're in technical director, the sound director, the anchors. The reporters, you know, the the Tyrone guy, everybody's talking at one time, and it is. We used to refer to it as controlled chaos at ABC 26, where you know you, you're sitting in there when you the sports producer, which I was for Ray Daniels. I mean, you're you're the guy. You're like, all right, you know, roll the package. I need this sound. We need all this, and and everyone has to trust one another. It's a team, and it is. You, you described it pretty perfectly. It is controlled chaos on that sideline. And I think people don't realize just how fast that play clock is, just how fast you have to make those decisions, just how fast you have to be uh, on your P's and Q's and, and get ready to go. If the package is called, you better be ready so you can hear so you can get in the huddle. The play has to be going. You have to make the check. You have to make you – know, it's just so many different things that are going on. And it, it was an adjustment for me for a couple of games to finally um, – to understand where I need to be, where I could go, what I was looking at, because the action is so much faster than college and high school, and um, you know, to just to be able to observe and, and to accurately report and, and actually feel like you're providing something. You know, I mean, I can sit there and be like, "Yeah, that was a great tackle by so and so." Yeah, everybody saw that. You know, but <laughs> what if I can tell you, "Hey, he shed two blocks on that, got knocked down, got himself up for more knee." And, guys, as you can see on the replay here coming up, he came in from the backside, and this guy literally just didn't give up. And then all of a sudden that asked the conversation. Next thing you know, people are talking about how this guy has a motor. And, you know, so things of that nature, that's what I tried to do while I was down there. And, um, you know, I think those are some of the things that, you know, Kenny and I used to talk about all the time. I mean, there never is uh, a spot where you're not learning because every year is a new team. You have new coaches. You have new players. You have – and, and everybody works differently. And, and you learn. And I remember one of the first things Kenny told me is, look, uh, you know, he gave me the four-on-one on, on guys mm-hmm. in the locker room that were good guys to go get. Because, as you know, post-game, you're driving home. You want to hear about it, right? So there's certain players that are good to go talk that might give you stuff. There's the cliche guy. You know, the guy, we need to play hard. We didn't have a good game. you got to give so-and-so credit, whatever. Then there's that one guy that goes, hey, we got our butts kicked. You know, so it, you, there's certain players you can go to and there's certain approaches that you can handle. And But more than anything else, it's their trust. You know, you, you can't go in there, obviously, and you know this. You, you can't be like, dude, you suck today. And, yep. you know, <laughs> what happened? You know, so you just approach it, hey, it was tough out there, you know, and, and then you know that then that person's going to open up to you. So it, it is. It, it's a constant fine line of, dealing with personalities and dealing with people and um, trying to provide it all at one time while it is stressful, while it is all that, it is fun. And some people can do it and some people can't. Well, and the thing, one thing about Kenny, he probably told you, he told me this a million times when I was, because, you know, he would be out doing stuff and I would have to get sound for locker room during training camp, especially. He would always pen to me, he said, never, ever ask them a question where they can answer yes or no. 
Because if you ask mm-hmm. them a question where they can answer yes or no, they will, and you get nothing. It has to mm-hmm. be either what or why. You can't say, that was a pretty tough game today, huh? Because they'll answer, <laughs> they'll answer yes, and they'll answer yeah. no. And he would always say, yeah. Ralphie boy, make it what or why. And it, it, it's a real simple thing, but I'll listen – and I don't want to rip it, but I'll listen to Saints post game, whatever, and I'll be like, no, don't, because because a player. No. Yeah, no, I mean you're right, and you know, and, and it is, and I, I think and that's what separates people that that you know you can either get out of experience. Some people just have it, and that's what I tried to do. Uh, you know, we know what took place, and the whole point to me of either a locker room report or a sideline report is to get insight as to what took place. If the Saints running game was non-existent, they rush for 24 yards, and you're talking to Jari Evans, uh, and he's your lineman representative, you'd be like, hey, what did, did, did they present different fronts? Did they get you with some blitzes? Was it tough for pickups? Um, you know, or was you know the pace of the game such that you just, you know, the running game got abandoned early? I mean, things of that nature, you don't sit there and be like, hey, you know, did you guys couldn't run today, right? No, we couldn't run. So, I mean, it's it, like I said, it, and it was just a constant communication to trying to learn all those different things. And a lot of it, you, you, you know, you hear. And and one thing, as you notice, and Kenny used to tell me this all the time, um, everything's great, man, when you win. Yep. And it, the hardest thing in the world is when you go into the locker room that, that there isn't winning. You know, in the last couple of seasons, I've been doing two-lane sideline in locker room and you know, when you're not winning games and you're losing four, five, six, seven, eight in a row, it's tough. I mean, it, you, you're feeling it. The game's drawing to a close. You're like, man, it stinks. You know, when it's a big win or big plays happen, man, that's easy. Everybody wants to talk. And the season I picked up after Kenny Ralph, it's, you know, the Saints had a promising year in 06. They went to the NFC Championship game. And, you know, here's my opportunity to do sidelines now. It's going to be great. They start 0-4. You know, so it's, you know, so it's, you quickly, you know, you, you got thrown to the wolves because expectations were higher. Players thought they should be playing better. You're sitting there going, what's going on? Why, why did they? And next thing you know, you're at Seattle on a Sunday night game and, you know, they want to get that win finally after 0-4. But it was, um, it was it was interesting, but like, like you said, I mean, it, you always are talking, and I know Kenny and I used to always have conversations about that, but a lot of it had to do with just listening to how they do it and what they used to do and, and all of that. But um, it, it's just, it's like I said, it, it's been a retrospective um, 24 hours for me, man. It's kind of you know, all the different conversations that yeah. we had um, in Millsaps or about his health, about, you know, just life, about the business, about, you know, different coaches and everything, because that's one of the things he used to always say, you know, Sean's great right now, but he can leave at any moment. And there's a new coach. And there's always going to be a new coach, you know, or there's always going to be a new player. An injury can make that happen. A contract can make that happen. A, you know, team move can make that happen. So what he just constantly always told me is you stay loyal to the fans. Stay loyal yeah. to the fan, you respect the franchise, and then you do your job. That's your job. Yeah, and I, I, I'm talking about Kenny. The, the, my probably my favorite moment working with him was, it was in oh I want to say it was oh no, it was in oh, what was it? It was in oh four. I think I think it was oh four. They were four and eight, and they were just 
done. It was they were done, and it was they were going to clean everybody. They ended up winning the last four, but there was a point when they were I think they were five and eight, and they had a reporter come down from Virginia and was doing a profile on Aaron Brooks. And he was interviewing Aaron Brooks kind of off in the corner, and none of the other media were paying attention to him. I noticed him, and I kind of snuck up and, and was and, – and, you know, I think Aaron was kind of he, – he let his guard down a little because the reporter was local, and it was just – it was he was from his hometown in Virginia. And I right. asked him – and I asked Aaron, I just said, Aaron, you know, what's this, what's this season been like for you personally? And he went off on this – rant for like 45 seconds where it was like the owner come at us the coaches come at us the fans come at us. he was Aaron Brooks was cursing and it was like just like that was, was, like, was a classic rant yeah and, and I was the only one that had it and and it was one of those things where I could just I could just hear Kenny like talking to me he's like when a player starts to talk shut the fuck up Marlboro just right. let him talk and I just was like, that is, I just, I was like, this, I was like, I was so excited. I said, Kenny, just listen to this. I can't even describe it. Kenny was, like, <laughs> Kenny was just like, Ralphie boy, that is going to make you a star. He said, yeah. and, and we went on, it was the lead. And I was just, it was just like, you know, I mean, cause there's just, there's certain ways to get information out of people. And I think, I think people with, with reporters now, Gus, because the NFL has changed and, and coaches are so secretive and they want to control everything. Even even more so than when you told me, you know, hey Ralph, they got we got this job as like an assistant producer. We I remember when you and and Buddy and Kenny were sitting in the newsroom and you would complain how tough it was and that was like oh three, oh four. I think right. those are like the good old days now. I mean oh, yeah. talk about just the 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 evolution of sort of the tightening of the media and how Kenny and you and sort of dealt have tried to deal with that because coaches are even more paranoid and more guarding of the information than they were. Oh yeah, I mean you can just take a look at um, the access that we have now, and you know I think the the biggest thing is, is more than anything else. I think it's representative of what the league is right now. I mean the NFL is king, and. Um, as you know, Ralph, there is no off season anymore. In the last couple of years, you've seen it grow exponentially. Um, you know, fantasy football used to be a joke, right? People used to laugh at it. That was nerds. That was, you know, people that played Dungeons and Dragons for people thought. I remember next thing you know, uh, local radio stations, not just us, but across the country started having shows. And he speaking radio has one. Next thing you know, there's a television show on fantasy football on ESPN. Next thing you know, the NFL. Remember when NFL.com yeah. came out with their own, hey, fantasy football league, because I think like Yahoo was one of the first ones that go national with it. Now everybody, CBSSports.com, Yahoo, Fox, you name it, everybody has a fantasy football league. Why? Because they saw the money in it. Yeah. And so it's followed so much more closely. And because of that, and the reason why I started with fantasy football is because injuries matter to who you start and who you play. Well, people want to know who's injured. And that is the biggest taboo thing for a coach. I mean, look, they, they can live with a reporter or talk show host ripping them, ripping the team, ripping a player. It doesn't make them happy, okay? But... Finding out 
inside info in their minds, which is an injury, which is who's practicing, which is how much he practiced on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, and who's probable, who's questionable. I mean, look, every team in the league does whatever they can to live on that line of injuries. Yeah, and I'm talking about will they play Sunday? Will they not I, play Sunday? How healthy are they? How healthy are they not? I mean, you know, New England and Tom Brady has been questionable for the last five years, every I, single week, right? Yeah, I feel like something, though, I feel like something, though, Gus, with the injury stuff, I, I feel like something has changed because it, I did a, a big, uh, huge article on Canal Street Chronicles about the 87 Saints. And I did a ton of research and went into the Times. And Jim Mora, who we never thought of like as a soundbite, you know, as an open – I mean he has a lot of soundbites obviously that we talk about playoffs and all that sort of stuff. But we didn't think of him as like an open, easy-go-luck, easy-fun-go-luck right. guy with the media. Reading the 87 game stories in the Times, Jim Mora – Today, people would be like, oh, my God, this guy tells everything about injuries. I mean, right, yeah. was, and, and, but, but something changed, and, and it got tighter, Gus. Like, I think yeah. like right around the time you saw like 05, 06, what do you think it was? I mean, coaches now, they're well, just – That's what I'm trying to get at, and that's what I'm saying, Ralph. To, to me, it's become so competitive. There's so much money yeah. involved in it. And it, it, there's so much ego involved in it. And there's so much – it's like what I keep saying there's no offseason. I mean, these guys – I mean, believe me, it, it, Sean Payton could practice every day. He would. You know, I mean, he, I mean, he would. He, these people have become their sport. And that's not to say it didn't happen before. But Kenny used to tell stories all the time, right? Buddy as well to us in that training camp in Wisconsin, all that stuff. I mean, half these guys ate, drank, never worked out. They would wait until training camp to work out, right? So you can't just look at it from one aspect of that. You have to look at the, the whole league now, and that's why I keep saying that there's no offseason. These players, this is a 24-7 you know, year-round thing. I was looking at Instagram video yesterday of Pierre Thomas doing deadlifts. Um <laughs> You know, yesterday, working out. These players do that on their own now. They have to because when they report, they have to be a certain weight. They have to be uh, a certain size that that they that they're told to be. They get fined if they don't. So, coaches have become ultra competitive. They've pushed the envelope of what competitiveness is. I mean, it's you know the, the technology being used now from. Uh, I mean, Sean Payton talks about it all the time that you know you can pick up signals and signs. Saban's talked about this before too from television. I mean, they, they watch television feeds, coaches' feeds, you name it. I mean, it's so when you have a coach that thinks that way, that tries to find the yeah. the every single bit of help in in winning. Okay, you have Belichick filming practices. You have coaches, you know, telling you some truths, not so truths when it comes to injuries. Um, you get situations where, you know, all of a sudden in, in, in the time that Sean Payne's been here when he first started, we used to see practice. Now we see stretching during the season, five minutes, 
and we're escorted out. And, you know, we, we, and we literally are escorted back in for the post-practice press conference. When the horn sounds, they open the door, and the players are walking off the field. We don't even see them talking to the team goodbye. I mean, it's, <laughs> that wasn't like that in 06 and 07. No. So, uh, you know, every coach is so guarded because they think and see now, though, and part of it I can understand. This day and age with Twitter and Facebook and the rush to get information out, uh, I mean, it's insane. I mean, you're sitting there at OTAs and have buddies in the newspaper, you know, industry, and, you know, they're being told, you know, tweet everything that they see. So coaches see that, and, and I can tell you, you know, it's no secret. Every coach does it. Every organization does it. Uh, you get the packets all the time when you show up. Um, you know, it's not a hiding thing. Everybody knows that it's part of the press material, right, that you always get the articles from the other teams that the, the journalists that, and the beat reporters that cover the team uh, have been doing during the week. So, you know, let's yeah. say they play the Falcons that first week. On that Friday, there, there was a press packet of all the articles that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution wrote, that Falcons.com wrote, so all of that. So to them, those coaches, each bit of it is information. They read everything. There's people in that building whose sole job is to read, you know, if they play the Falcons this week, message boards, tweeters, I mean, you, you know, the websites, every bit of audio, every bit of video, the, the interviews, the press conference, the transcripts, everything, because they're doing that to the Saints. So that's why they're so guarded on injuries. Well, that's that, why they're so guarded on everything, because they know that everybody's trying to find the littlest thing. And if they can know that Sproles has a bum ankle, then maybe they can X out a couple of plays because they know that he doesn't have lateral movement or you know things of that nature. So it's evolved. It's evolved to the point where basically you're going to get the bare minimum the NFL as a league requires, and you have to adjust to it. And and it's been an adjustment because just in the last couple of years since I started my own show, since I left OWL, fans still think that it's like the old days. And yeah, and no. We don't have the info. Like we can't give it to you. <laughs> yeah, and, and heaven forbid a player slips up, and it happens every year. One day, a player's in the locker room, open locker room, is going to say, yeah, you know, my, my ankle, dude, I don't know if I'm going to go. And he's not supposed to. I mean, they are told to not say anything about their injuries. We're going to ask. We have to. That's our job. So one day, one, I mean, Charles Grant is one that I remember, you know, saying that he wasn't you know, going to be hurt or whatever. And, you know, we went with it. Everybody did. I mean, it was in front of all the cameras. And, and my goodness, he got berated. You know, <laughs> he was not happy about it. Next thing you know, it's, look, you can't report injuries and all these different things. And that's around the league. You talk to every reporter that covers a team. That's why I keep saying injuries. And the thing that's interesting, too, Ralph, is what we've seen on our show is I remember Larry and I were talking about we had a good source when Drew Brees hurt his MCL. I mean, he was hurt. We knew he was hurt. And, you know, the the team did its best to make it seem like it wasn't. You know, they have Jay Glazer, who's close to the team, so they go out there and say, hey, Drew Brees was kicking field goals. Whether he was or not, I, I don't know. Right, but it seemed a little off base that out of every year prior, previous, he never kicked field goals, but yeah. now he has to prove that he's fine. And I had a very good source 
So we went with it, and it was unbelievable. I mean, the flagship station said we were lying. Fans were calling up telling us we shouldn't tell people that because that's going to get Drew hurt and everything. And what we tried to explain was, Ralph, you can see the video of him getting hurt. They have coaches film. They can see that when the game starts and he has a brace on. I mean, you could be able to see that he's hurt. Well, that's the thing. And and that's the thing I wanted to talk to you about because, you know – with, you know, Larry Holder had the great, I think as good an article as you're going to have nowadays where he had the anonymous quotes about Spagnuolo. That's about as good as you're going to get in 2013. Oh, yeah. But with, you know, I remember in the newsroom when, when it was you and it was Kenny and it was Buddy. And Buddy, he always, he wanted information and he wanted you guys to dig and dig and dig. And I really think the for Buddy, for you guys, was Buddy was untouchable in the New Orleans. There was nothing WWL could do. They couldn't get rid of him. So he would tell you guys, you and Kenny, go out and get me the information, and then I'll get it on the air. Don't you worry about anything. And he sort of, I hate to use the word protecting because that, that makes it seem like you guys needed protecting, but he was a sort of a shield to where you knew, hey, I can go out and I can push and I can get this information, then I can give right. it to Buddy. And he'll keep the Saints from really cracking hard on me and cracking hard on Kenny. And I think now that Buddy's gone, it's like you said, Gus, you got a scoop like Drew Brees. You're kind of on your own now. And they, the Saints will, will, will put a sort of a bullseye on you and come hard at you and make your life miserable. Yeah, you know, and, and and you have to be aware of that as a reporter in today's age. And like I said, that's not just the same fact to anybody. I yeah. Mean, it, you know, when, when you get scooped and you get that out and you try to develop sources and you try to make not deals to kind of be respectful uh, of certain areas, but at the same time, I have a job to do, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Until my check says New Orleans Saints on it, then my best interests aren't the New Orleans Saints. My best interest is my job, and my job is to report. So, you know, at the same time, I'm mindful of things. You know, if it's, you know, like for example, this past OTAs, if we saw a player that wasn't practicing or he was starting to get back in, and at the end of practice, Sean Payton says he didn't work, and then we saw him do some drills, he didn't work. It's, it, it's, it's May. Why push that? What does yeah. it matter? You know, I mean, he's clearly, you know, coming back from something or, you know, he tweaks something. He's it's May. You know what I'm getting at? I mean, it's it's, yeah. it, it's not an issue to an extent. Now, regular season Wednesdays, as you know, Ralph, that's the big day. Yeah. That's when everybody gets back. But if they're limited or didn't go, that raises an eyebrow. Thursdays, by Thursdays, they're not practicing. A very good chance you're not going to see him. If by Friday they're at the best limited, there's a good chance you're not going to see him. So you explain that on the air, and that's well, what I do. You well, know, here, I, I say, here are different levels. If, if coach is saying there's this, folks, read into it, there's a very good chance. Now, that doesn't mean that I haven't seen him do this, or I can see him maybe do that, or I can see him do that. And, you know, there's been times in different fields where we see a player clearly practicing, and we're told he's not. And that's been a contention. That's been an issue because you have to report what you see. And, you know, so it, it, it's, it, it's like I said, it, it, it's, a, it's a touchy, touchy subject because the last thing you ever want to do is be at odds with anybody. No, and, and that, 
and and it and, and it's it's hard. And it's a and it's a tough line. And a couple more things, and then I want to maybe your favorite Kenny story. But this this thing, you know, you talked about the the sort of balance you have to strike is that, you know, it's difficult not only from the team but from fans too because. I always say on the podcast and in my columns, as fans, we want as much information and data and gossip that you can give us about the Mm -hmm. Saints because we consume it and we're crazy about it. But on the other hand, they have a a percentage of fans that say, I just want the Saints to win and you're hurting their chances. So what would you say would be the balance of fans that say – I want Gus. I want you to give me as much information and scoop on the Saints as you can. can. How many? What percentage is that? And what percentage of the fans right. are Gus? I don't want you to tell me anything negative. I just want to pretend like it's all right. rainbows well, because that's helps you them win. Use, you just use the word. I mean, uh, negative. That that's so subjective. I mean, what's negative and what's positive? You may think I should tell you, and I may think I shouldn't. So. Um, what I've always tried to do, and this is how I sideline reported, and, and this is how I, I do the radio show. If it's visible with your eyes, okay, then that's fair game for me. I mean, that if if you're at a game and you see somebody limping, then absolutely that sideline reporter ought to be able to report so-and-so is limping. And if your eyes can see that somebody is working on an anchor or a knee, then I'm no different than the guy with binoculars in the terrace or in the loge or in the plaza that can see the same thing. So, you know, that's fine. And so I, I use that, that I'm not a doctor, so I don't tell you what I think it can be because you're not going to get the info from the sidelines. Some teams give it to you. Some teams don't. But if you come limping off Ralph and you have a couple of trainers looking at your ankle there is absolutely to me no reason why I shouldn't be able to say, hey, Ralph's ankle's being looked at, the time moving it left and right, looking for some sort of mobility or stability. He's kind of wincing when they move it up and down. So you can kind of start thinking what it is. You know, can, is that a tape-up job or is that something more extensive? And then, uh-oh, they're walking into the locker room. Well, that means x-rays. That's the only reason you're going to walk out there because you can tape up and you can do everything else right there on the sideline. So I gave you info. I told you what you need to know, and that way I'm not picking off anybody because I'm not saying it's broken. I'm not saying it's sprained. I'm not saying he's out. I'm not saying he's coming back. I'm seeing what you can see and what I can see. As far as personal stuff, locker room outside of it, like I said, you, you keep it the football. You know, I uh, un, uh, unless there's extru- you know, extraordinary circumstances where somebody's off the field issues, are affecting the game, the team, the locker room, things like that, you know, that's fine. I mean, a perfect example was, um, you know, last year, uh, Jimmy Graham was acting weird at the beginning of the year. He was just acting weird, um, you know, dodging reporters, hiding behind, you know, the, the shower wall. And you're know, like, well, what is this all about? Now he doesn't want to talk. He's too good. So you, you kind of go through all these things in your head or – you know, is he injured? Is he not want to show you know, so people that he's nicked up? Or he was just acting weird. And if you had just gotten done dealing with Jeremy Shockey, he was just weirdo. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of look at that like that. And I went on the air and I was like, look, I don't know what's his issue right now. He's not playing the same. You know, he's, he's not talking to people anytime the reporters try to ask him or talk to him. He's like, not now, guys. And he, you know, he's bolting, like sometimes literally. 
he'd leave the shower, grab his clothes, and go get dressed somewhere else. And that's just not normal behavior. I mean, so, <laughs> you know, so again, how do you say that? Because callers are calling going, that's not the Jimmy Graham we saw last year. And I don't know why he's not playing that well. Is it an injury? Is there something else going on? Is his mind not right? Did he get too full of himself? Is he not happy? I don't know. You know, but when it's something where 60 pairs of eyes can see and it's responsibility in terms of you have to talk to media, you know? So, again, if it's the open locker room session, on a Wednesday, in which players are made to be available, again, I don't think there's anything wrong in saying this player didn't want to talk to us. I don't have to get into massive details, but I can be like, you don't want to talk to us? And dude, he grabbed his clothes and got dressed somewhere else. You can make your own deductions from that. Well, if good. I'm walking in the park at Zephyr Field and I see him jogging to his car and he's acting weird or something like that, you know, I don't know if that's something I need to call in. Immediately, you know what I'm getting at. So, well, yeah, I mean, my, and the, my thing that I always try to do, Ralph, is if it's football related, if it's something that's structured, if it's something that should be, if it's on the field, if it's a locker room session, if it's a press conference, that's fair game. Yeah, and I think you know the thing is with team, the NFL teams, especially the Saints, they're so secretive. I think the default position by, and I mean, I write for WWE, but I can, I'm, I'm just a fan now. I don't. I don't, I'm not in, I'm not there like you are every day. The default position from 90% of the email that I get and on Canal Street Chronicles or probably callers, the default position is the Saints are hiding something. Whenever a player is not playing well, they're hiding something. They're hiding an injury. They're hiding this. They're hiding that. Because history tells us they probably are. Um, But, but Gus, um, before I get out of here, I want to talk about the, the 2013 Saints. But give me, because... Give me your favorite Kenny Wilkerson story and just what you want people to know and remember about him because I feel like this next week people are going to talk about it still. Give me your favorite story and just your thoughts on the man in general. Man, that's, that's tough to do, to be honest with you, because there's so many that I, I think they can can really say who they are. You know what? I, I, I would probably say – and I don't mean this in a bad way or in terms of like that I couldn't think of any. There's just, there's just so many. I can give you yeah. 15 different ones in the <laughs> season. Some of the conversations we had at Millsaps to him and I talking during my first sideline game. He's like, did you see this? Did you see that? I'm like, yeah, I did. And he's in the stands. And he's like, did you can kind of sense and feel. So I'll just kind of make it a collaborative effort. Um, I guess what I want people to know and remember is, I think he was misunderstood at times on how he reported or what he said that he didn't like this team. Um, I think what we all need to remember, and and I think fans in general, and you know, sometimes I get picked on when I apply this to LSU fans. My wife even thinks I don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, you know, my fondest memories are growing up going to games with my dad. And, you know, you're a fan of the school. And you're a fan of the black and gold. And you want them to win. At certain points in time, different people put on those uniforms. Different people have different titles for those schools or those teams. There's been different coaches at LSU. There's been different coaches with the Saints. There's been different players from both of those schools. And everybody's different, you know? I mean, not, not everybody's the same. Some people are bad people. Some people are great people. Some people are funny. Some people don't want to talk to you. Some, you know, all those different things. So I think 
you have to look at it from that perspective. And when, when you look at it like that, I think that was one of the things that Kenny always told me. He's like, look, you know, there's going to be some guys, man, that are easy to deal with, some guys that aren't going to be easy to deal with. But the one thing that I will always remember from Kenny more than anything else is he was one of the most passionate Saints fans I've ever met. And the way he got started at L 17 years before, you know, in his time there, he was literally in construction, did some handiwork on the side, and, um, you know, was painting the the walls, the hallways of the new studio, and walked in and talked to, you know, some management at the time. And, you know, again, the Saints weren't as big as they are now. And, you know, though we always do any games, they didn't have a sideline reporter, and he just offered to do it for free. And next thing you know, he's the sideline reporter. And because he just, he was that passionate about football. He was that passionate about the team. He was, he wanted to report on it and he wanted to bring you, you know, those insights and everything. So, I mean, this guy wore Saints gear all the time. I mean, he absolutely loved, loved, loved the team. And I think he understood that, you know, it's just like, uh, I guess, you know, in politics, you know, with the presidency, you have different people that hold yeah. that office, but there's always that office. You always have to have that respect for their office and that love of country just because you don't respect that politician that's in there and whatever branch of government, local, federal, state, what have you, um, doesn't mean you're not an American. So I think he kind of covered it like that, you know, and if, if there was a guy that he thought was full of it, he'd tell you. And yeah, the guy that he thought was a great guy, he'd tell you. Yeah, um, and, overall, no, that, he was always the love of uh, of that team. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he just he he just said, you know, I'm going to cover the Saints if if the Saints, because I mean, look, in 2002 and 2003, when they had Hazard, I mean, they were the peak of being dysfunctional. He said, you know, if right. they were functional and they knew what the hell they were doing, we'd report it. But they don't, and they have chaos in their locker room. They got people. They no, got a, I mean, they got a quarterback and a defensive lineman punching each other. And... You had a quarterback that didn't have the respect of the team. I mean, you had all those things. So, you know, and I think, like I said, that's the one thing that I, I want people to remember. That's what he did. He he reported. He told you what he thought he was seeing, and. I think from that standpoint, I respect that. And sometimes that got him in trouble, and sometimes uh, that, you know, at times should have gotten him accolades. But either way, I guess that's the one thing. Um, the dude loved the team, man. He no. absolutely loved the Saints. And, and I, I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, the, the, my favorite Kenny Wilkerson story, and this is what I always would tell people when they would say, oh, Kenny hates the Saints. Kenny, you know, in the, in the 2000 year when the Saints they went from nowhere to 10-6, and six, has its first year, they went out to San Francisco, and right. they played a the game they desperately needed to win, and Kenny was saying that the sideline was so berserk and crazy to win the game, he even got caught up with it, and he said he right. almost got thrown out of the game by the head referee because they had a bad spot and he was yelling at the referee to spot the ball. Right. Exactly. Right. No. Yeah. Look, I mean, that was the thing. He he, he was a fan, you know, he he was a guy that would be like, I mean, I kind of almost related sometimes to Harry Carey, you know, he'd tell you this dude's a bum or this dude's great or this dude's stealing money or this dude's, you know, he he deserves a raise. You got to pay this guy. So, I think that's how he always took it, and I can tell you, man, even after he left and his health 
really started declining and cancer really started taking over. I mean, he would just text me. Uh, during games, we were texting, you know, look yeah. at this, they're doing this, they need to do it. I mean, he just, he was always a part of it, and I think that's how I'm always going to remember him. I mean, the guy just absolutely loved Saints football, and, um, you know, like I said, a lot of times it, it's it's just like any anything else in any relationship. Sometimes you get along with people, yeah. sometimes you don't, but he always cared for the Saints. You know, and as we know, I mean, come on, this franchise has had a history of questionable owners, to say the least. Yeah. Bad coaches, good coaches, bad players, good players. You know, guys that stole money, guys that, uh, you know, probably you're, the organization didn't take care of. Um, you know, so I, I think you have to look at it from that perspective. But the one thing I always respect him, man, is if he felt something was right or if he felt something needed to be said, he stood by it. And sometimes he was right and sometimes he was wrong. But I think we could use a lot more of that in uh, in politics coverage and in sports coverage because, um, you know, a lot of times, man, people tend to forget this is a game. You know, at the end of the day, it's a game. Yeah. And it is a business. A lot of people make money off of it. You're doing podcasts. I do a talk show covering sports. But at the end of the day, man, when I sign off, I got a wife. And I got a, you know, a dog and, <laughs> and I got and a life to live. And it's hard, too, because, you know, like you said, people didn't always – they had a big chunk of people that didn't understand Kenny or didn't like him. And that, you know, it takes guts to say the Saints are dysfunctional and they they need to get their, their stuff together and they're losing because of this and this. Sometimes they have a big chunk of people. They don't want to hear it and to say it – you know, they'll come up to you in the grocery store and say, Kenny Wilkerson, you're a son of a blah, 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 son of a bitch. You know, you're too negative on the Saints. And, and it's tough right. to not sit to, and you know, it, well, to just say, you know what, I'll okay. say, I'll say it like this, Ralph. And it's, you know, pre Sean Payton, how many winning seasons did this team have? How many championships? How many playoff wins? So, you know, clearly it wasn't working. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Clearly, there were issues. I mean, uh, th- this organization has never been um, more properly run than it is now. It's never been yeah. more in control. And with it, there's pluses and minuses. Sure. Do we get as much access and information as we would like? No. But you know what? At the end of the day, they have a job as well. And I respect that. And I understand that. Sean Payton's job, why he's getting paid, the money he's getting paid, is to win football games. Tom Benson's job is to make money and to have a successful franchise and win championships. That comes with things. So, you know, as long as I can do my job to an extent and they can do their job at an extent, I think there's a, there's a, there's definitely a common place where you can meet. And that's why I try to do my stuff. You know, yeah. I know his gig, man, is about winning those players. That's what, that's their job, you know? And, um, fans are fans. That's what that's what makes it good. When it's good, when it's bad, I mean that's you want that passion. And I think as sports reporters, as talk show hosts, or whatever, you know, our job is to kind of be that intermediary. You know, we're, we're the guys that kind of take you there. We can talk about it. We can discuss yeah. it. We can have dialogue, discussions, and things of that nature. And you know, and we walk that fine line, and we try to do that for both sides. And you know, because look, when things go well and they want a new contract, guess what? Players talk, man. They, they want people to love them, right? Because they want that new deal. You want playing. Yeah. You want fans, and you want blogs and message boards saying, "You better sign this guy to a long-term deal. You better do this. You better do that." So, 
I mean, we just went through it with the Breeze thing. Everybody was going, sign them, sign them, sign them. I'm like, it's not that they don't want to sign them. They don't have any money. You know, it's like, <laughs> so we would go through different, you know, situations. I'm like, okay, great. I, you have a checking account. You have $20. <laughs> um, Drew wants 18 of those $20, but you still have to sign and pay other players. How do you go about doing that? That's why it takes time. That's why, you know, so you try to explain it, you know, to all of that. Yeah. Sometimes fans don't want to hear that. And, you just have to understand it comes with the territory. Well, before I let you get out of here, quick thoughts on 2013 Saints and what you're looking for in training camp. And I'm just going to throw this quick theory out, and you feel free to detonate it or whatever. But I think the 2013 Saints, if you can answer this question, you'll be able to figure out how they're going to do. And that question is, how much of the 2012 Saints defense, how much of it was Spagnola's fault? And how much of it was the player's fault? If it's mostly Spagnuolo's fault, they're going to be really good in 2013, possibly. But right. if it's mostly mm-hmm. the players, they're going to be stuck in this 7-9 and nine to 9-7 and seven right. purgatory. Well, I'll say this. There is no doubt in what I've been able to see in OTAs and training camp. I mean, uh, mini camp. We've got to see a total of six practices. And in talking to players and observing our own, it was clearly probably more, I'd say, 60, 40, 70, 30 spags. And um, when you hear players constantly say, it's fun again, uh, we're being used properly, Um, there's feedback, Uh, we, we can openly talk about things, what works, what doesn't you clearly get an understanding that that wasn't the environment that they had last year. Uh, Ralph, when, when the team won the Super Bowl, they were the 25th best defense in the NFL. They won fantastic. You know, we kind of tend to forget that a great start. Sharper was picking off balls left and right. The defense was playing fantastic. There were two things that happened there. One, that didn't happen towards the end of the year. Um, but secondly, the offense was ridiculous. Ridiculous. The Saints were scoring 21 points a quarter in the first quarter. So when teams are behind, they have to throw the ball more. It increases the chances for turnovers. You can blitz more. You can do that. When you look at the last couple of years, and especially last year, the offense wasn't moving the ball. They weren't scoring. And when a touchdown comes, now the offense is having to do what opposing offenses were doing in 06 and in 09. So all of that relates to one another. You know, when you can't run the football, you're predictable on offense in the passing game. When you don't approach the game to want to run the football, you become predictable. When you don't change your tactics and how you approach the passing game, you become predictable. When you have certain packages, you become predictable. Um, when you're successive uh, or successful and you have the top offense three out of five years or what have you, teams study that. So when you go into this year and you hear Sean Payton say there's different wrinkles, there's different packages, terminology, uh, things of that nature, they're doing that to get back to where they were catching teams off guard and, and kind of pushing their will on things. When you look at that defense, your, your original question, um, look, you can see a difference. You absolutely need to upgrade talent. I mean, speed is speed. The DBs, the safeties, the corners, there always appear to be, you know, a step away. You've got no pressure in the quarterback. But I think a lot of it is evolving and seeing where this game is going. Um, I remember talking to Jabari Greer two seasons ago and when it started in this year. 
there's a lot of joking going on in the open locker room sessions that was almost like arena football. The <laughs> rules have it to where you can't really defend the receiver. Uh, it's it's hard if you come in hard and aggressive and you hit a, a quarterback, you get a big penalty on you. So it, it it's hard to do that. And teams aren't doing five to seven step drops as often. It's three step drops. Look at the Falcons. Why every Saints fans are going? Why do you go get a safety like Ricardo? You need to get a pass rush. I'm like, how many times? You know, I'm like, gone are the <laughs> days of Lawrence Taylor, Ralph. You're, you're not going to yeah. have a quarterback drop seven steps hold the ball for three seconds, and wait for two receivers to get open. It's not happening anymore. You have multiple targets. They've seen the success of the Saints and the Patriots at Gronkowski. Now everybody wants a tight end, right? You have mobile QBs now with a pistol and this and that. You, you know, Marshall Falk and the Rams started the whole thing of having a running back not be a running back but be an additional receiver. So what do you see now? Dude, you go get a seventh round on undrafted rookie, to be your running back, you're not paying, you're not even drafting a running back first overall or in the top five or ten anymore, right? I think this past draft you had one running back go, and that was Lacey from, from Alabama. I mean, it, so that's my point. The game's evolving. So it is almost like arena football. You need guys that can cover. You need guys that can tackle and stop. You will have to almost go in assuming they're going to complete the pass for two to three yards. You got to make the tackle. You got to stop them on third down. Offenses, this is an offensive game now. This is a quarterback's game. You have got to be able to stop, get off the field in third, and just hold the scoring down. It means you've got to score. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what it is now. So, back to the question you're saying, <laughs> I agree with you. It's about the defense, but if they can just improve, 10 spots, you're 32, you get to 22, the Saints are going to be in the playoffs for sure. They get to 25, they're going to win. The offense is fine. They're still going to score. Things are going to get settled back. Sean Payton's influence is unbelievable. And, you know, if the defense can just minimize the damage, then you're going to be in games. They've completely changed that approach. They, they're going to run the football more, or they're going to use the short passing game to almost sort of be like a running game. And you, you still have multiple targets on offense. They're going to slow this game down a little bit. A lot, you know, they're not going to try to score in four plays and three plays. And, and they're going to try to get teams to try to, you know, kind of help that defense out, you know, and, and put the the honest more on the offense and ball control. Go back to what they did in 09. In 09, Drew Brees said one thing that's always stood out to me. Ten play drives. That's what they want. And I promise you, that's what they're going to try to do this year. Ten play, seven, eight-minute drives, eat up the clock, shorten the game, score seven. Now you're in the lead. Now you're doing well. And now you, you, you're maximizing the most. You're tiring out the other defense. You're doing those things. I think that's what you can see this team try to do, A, to help that defense, and B, I do think they've upgraded certain points on that talent, but when everybody keeps telling you that it wasn't the talent on this team last year, now again, we'll find out. But yeah. from coaches to Peyton to, I mean, he didn't come in here and clean complete house, did he? I mean, he could have gotten rid of Harper. He could have gotten rid of Will Smith. He could have gotten rid of Vilma. He re-signed him. He restructured him. So he had to have seen that it wasn't all them. 
Plus, aside from the fact that fans don't get, you don't have the money. You don't have the money, you don't have the draft picks. You have to go with what works. So you have to go with what you have, actually, not even what works. You have to try to hope that these guys that you have can play. Put them in a system or in position that they benefit the most of what they do well. We saw defensive formations where, at times, Harper and Jenkins went on the field. You saw multiple DBs. You saw three safeties sometimes. You saw four safeties sometimes. So they're they're emphasizing on coverage. You only saw two backs and one defensive lineman, D tackle and two linebackers. Everybody else was defensive back. So they're putting players in positions that they're comfortable in. For people that can't stand Roman Harper covering tight ends, I never saw him doing that. It was Kenny Vaccaro. So, you know, they're trying to, to do that and, and see it. And you just have to go with what you have. Well, not the main draft picks, not that much money, and you got to hope that coaching – and putting players in right positions can help this defense. Well, yeah, it's it, and it's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, Andrew Juge, who, who writes for Canal Street Chronicles and does a lot of – he grades the Saints really hard and, and does analy- – tries to do the football analytics side where it's not just opinion. You know, it's 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 the, the sort of the baseball, the stats, and that sort of thing. He says it's – he thinks it's mostly players. But he, but he says he hopes yeah. he's wrong. He says he thinks it's mostly players. It wasn't Spags, but we'll see. But it, no. last question before I let you get out of here is – Give me a player that you're going to be really paying it when you're when you're when you're out as much as they let you watch practice uh, during training camp and and in the games. What's a player that you're going to really be keeping your eye on for whatever reason as we as we start training camp? Can almost give you about position to be honest with you. I, I think the receiving core is going to be very interesting to see. I think Joe Morgan is going into this year. And he's going to have that chance to be, you know, what Meacham and, mm-hmm. and Devery were uh, in terms of that. Uh, Toon is another one. I think not a lot to know or expect of him, but I can tell you, to me, I almost prefer him as a bigger version of Lance Moore. Runs pretty good routes, has great hands, but way bigger size. Um, I think the receiving battle is going to be very interesting. I almost think they can keep six sometimes. I love a guy that maybe not this year, but next year, uh, Salim Akeem, flat out just burns. I, he's the fastest thing I've ever seen. Incredibly raw, though. Uh, not very good routes. His hands aren't very great position, but my goodness, give him a year or two, try to stash him somehow, some way. Uh, you might be able to see him and Morgan be able to do some damage down deep. So I, I think some receivers to look at for that, but it'd be interesting to see if Morgan can take that next step to be somebody that's dependable and can stretch that field. That's something that was so important to this team when they won the Super Bowl. You've got to get those safeties away from you. You can run the ball better. You can hit Jimmy Graham over the middle better. Because what you saw teams last year do is, let's be honest, Colston and Moore, they're not fast. So, you know what? They didn't play, you know, thinking yeah. that you're going to get over the top with them. They just played man-on-man on those guys, and they put extra people in that box and punished Jimmy Graham. Right. So the more they can open up the middle, I think the better that will be. Um I think on the line, I think, you know, it would be interesting to see if Armstead can, can get in there. I think that injury towards the end of minicamp might have hurt him a little bit, but Charlie Brown, he's going to be graded on a practice-to-practice situation, I'm telling you, or a game. Um, as far as defense goes, I really think it's the guys that maybe a lot of people don't know or, or think of. You know, they may not be the yeah. jersey seller. But I think guys like Isabel Caduce or Caduce, um, Raphael Bush, I really like as well. 
And I think Corey White is going to be poised to have a big year for this team. I really do. He's got good size at corner. And you saw an awful lot of him in a lot of packages. You saw a lot of 24 on that field. So look for him as well. And obviously, I think Picaro is going to do a lot in this team on his defense. So it'll be interesting. This team's got yeah. a lot of questions next year, whether, whether it's Jenkins' yeah. contract being up and also with Harper, um, you know, with his contract, how much it costs, or whether or not these two guys, this is their last two years. So I, I'm going to... I'm going to look in training camp to the secondary type guys in the secondary because of the multiple formations that we've seen, of the many packages we've seen where you had multiple defensive backs. Yeah. I said that was the last question, but this one you can give a real quick answer. I think Ryan Griffin has a really, really much stronger shot to be the Saints' backup quarterback. From Tulane, you saw him. Am I crazy to think he can not just make the practice squad but be Drew Brees' backup? Is that crazy? Not this year. Not this year. I I don't see it happening this year. There were some times in practice you could see he's a rookie. Um, He knows the offense is translating that and upping his speed. Now, he may come back in training camp and blow my mind, but if I had to bet money on it right now, I think Seneca Wallace is your backup for more than one reason. Um, I think he's pretty good. McCown's a good practice QB. Uh, let's see if it can do that in games, though. Um, plus, don't discount and remember the first press conference Sean Payton had in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. The very last thing he talked about was the pistol. Yeah. Think think of that, okay? Yeah. And, I, you know, there's something that tells me that he knows this isn't going to be a fad, or if it is, it's going to be for a couple of years. I remember talking during the Super Bowl to a national draft analyst, and he said, look, next year there's going to be 10 to 12 quarterbacks in the draft that can run this offense. That's going to be the thing. People want what, and here's the difference. We're not talking Tebow, not even really talking Cam Newton. We're talking about guys like RG3 and Colin Kaepernick and even Russell Wilson to an extent that can hurt you with their legs, but they're not Michael Vick. They're not the guy that's running the ball all the time. He'll hit you every now and then with the scramble. He can extend the play. He can get you a first down on the ground every now and then. Yeah, and that I'll... is that threat. And more importantly, the fact that they have guns, that yeah. they can throw the football. I wouldn't be surprised if the quarterback after Drew Brees and Sean Payton is still the head coach is something that looks more like Colin Kaepernick than looks like Ryan Griffin or Drew Brees. Now, I do think Griffin is a practice squad guy. Give him a season to understand it. He can be a very good practice squad QB. Maybe next year he could be that backup because he knows that offense. He's got a good arm. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's got to adjust to the speed. You can see a lot of the speed thing uh, was affecting him, but he has a good deep ball. He was hitting some guys in stride. It's about that speed, man. It's a different game. It's a different level, but I think Seneca's be back up this year. Griffin has a good shot maybe next year. But um but I think the heir apparent, the guy's gonna, you know, be the man, the start of the jersey seller after Drew Brees, not only is it not on this team, but I, I think he's gonna be more of what you're seeing the league go to than your standard, you know, in the pocket type QB. Because let's be honest, Ralph. Yeah. Brees is a freak of nature. I mean, the the guy understands the game and sees the game that, you know, 
a couple of quarterbacks in this league. Well, the game. thing and, about the thing you're referring to guys when you say that that are old. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, Aaron the Rogers thing might be the youngest. Well, the thing I always say about Drew Brees that makes him a freak of nature is people don't think about his mobility, but within the pocket. He is incredibly elusive and mobile and aware, and I don't know if that's mm-hmm. his tennis background or whatever it is, right. Gus, but he and is... Studying and understanding that. Yeah. Something that they practice. They move the pocket and yeah. footwork. And man, I remember when Dan Marino went into the league, and I remember watching you know, the NFL films bid on him, and the thing that was amazing with him is he wasn't fast. He was slow as molasses. But he always eluded a rusher and, yeah. and always hopped into the right throwing motion. That's what you see about Breeze. Balance and footwork. You don't have to outrun people. You don't have to scramble around for people. It's moving up. It's moving left. It's moving right. It's moving back. It's knowing where you're going with the ball advance because the league is just too fast. There's just too much speed now that, you know, you're waiting for somebody to get open. You have to know what's happening before that play even snaps. And Mm -hmm. you have to put in the time. So, you know, guys like Kaepernick and Wilson, RG3, they're blessed with tremendous mobility and it helps them and it buys them. So I think the next evolution of those three guys, that's what you're going to see in the league in the next five to seven years. Guys that can read defenses and things like that. Because, look, Ralph, I was listening to, uh, you know, this week, and it's something that college football is going into with high school football. I mean, you heard Mac Brown in Texas saying they want to run 84 plays I know. this year. It's, it's they're, they're changing it. You know, they're everybody in high school does what now? They grab the best athlete and they make them a quarterback. Where, I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's what it is now. So colleges at that position are recruiting what? Spread offenses, a guy that can run, and a guy that maybe can throw the ball. And what's hurting more than anything else, and it's something I talk about on my show all the time, I cannot stand what Oregon has done, LSU did for a while, the the most the worst thing you can do to that position is to have that garbage where they go to the line, he lifts his legs, he snaps once or twice with his hands, and then they all turn and look to the sidelines for the coach and they're holding a stupid billboard of an eagle, you know, the the Cheetos Tiger and, and that's the play call. Meanwhile the play clock's going, the quarterback's not looking at the defense. He's not learning how to read. He's not being able to make audibles or adjustments, and he has to go with what the guy on the sideline sees. So that might work in college because you can recruit enough athletes to help you. In the NFL, everyone's fast, and I think that's going to be the most interesting thing. You have got to have somebody that can get up to that line of scrimmage and can read what's going on. That's why, I don't know about you, I'm incredibly interested to see how Chip Kelly's offense works this year. If he goes in it like Oregon, I don't think it's going to work. I just don't. Well, it's going to be it. It to me, it's 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 going to be fascinating because I think, I think with the advent of the spread and like you say, teams speeding it up, it becomes a point where you know they have the old school NFL people go they're like, oh, it can't last. The quarterback will get injured and blah blah blah. But I think it's not going to be a case where teams are going to the Forty ers or say Washington, they're going to run. RG3 20 times every week, but it's going to be a case where like when they played the Saints or teams played the Saints and they say, oh, the Saints have no clue and no capability because they're not fast enough at linebacker to stop the spread. So last week we only ran it twice. 
But this week, this team stinks at linebacker, and they can't get to the sideline. They can't cover it. This week, we're going to run it eight times, and and six of those Mm -hmm. times, we're going to gash them. So it's not going to be where they're going to run it 25 times every week, but it's going to be something you better know how to defend it or at least not get run over. And if you can't, your defense is done. And that's what the NFL is going to be. It's not going to be everybody running the spread all the time. Yeah. You know? And, no, I agree. It'll be very interesting to see this here. But, uh, but Gus, thanks so much. I mean, I, I, I wish we, we would finally had you on in, on better circumstances. People, listen to the Sports Hanger. Listen to it. Stream it. You don't, want to, you don't want to work hard at work anyway. You want to listen to the Sports Hanger. Listen to the, you know, the man. He reports for Gambit. Go, to, go there. Um, Gus, thanks so much for joining, joining us. And unfortunately, um, I will uh, be seeing you in person next week at uh, – Kenny Wilkerson's funeral, but it was good to talk to you and uh, be well, my friend. And we'll uh, we'll have you on down the line. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Ralph. Take care. Thanks.